0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media, let's make some noise.
1: Hello? That's weird. You can feel it.
0: Welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I am your host, Mike White. I'm talking today to directors Mark Dennis and Ben Foster about their latest work, which is called Time Trap from 2017. It's currently making its way around the festival circuit, soon to be coming to a downloadable device near you, I imagine. So keep your eye out for that, and when you get a chance, definitely check it out. Until then, listen to this interview. Enjoy.
2: My name is Ben Foster. I'm a director on Time Trap alongside Mark Dennis my dad and I were always playing with the, uh, with the video camera. He would show me new tr- tricks and and stuff like that. And just, you know, if you tilt the, uh, like, if you set the camera on the ground and tilt it outside and then as like a four-year-old, I remember kind of crawling along the ground. And then when you play it on the TV, cause the camera's tilted, it looks like you're going up a mountain. And I thought that was like the coolest thing that sort of sparked my interest, I think. And then by the time I got to high school, every time there was an option, And sometimes when there wasn't an option, I would always push to like do the video project, which was a great, I think, just environment to be, to practice and to be encouraged by classmates in the school and and all that. And then by the time I was going to college, I was, I knew what I wanted to do and applied to the UT RTS program. And that's where I graduated and where I met Mark.
3: My name is Mark Dennis. I'm the writer of Time Trap. Uh, Ben and I directed it together. I was interested in films. I mean, everybody kind of went through the same stuff in the 80s and 90s, but I think uh, the big movie for me that got me into filmmaking was Pulp Fiction. Um, my dad got me a script for Pulp Fiction for Christmas one year, and it was the first script that I ever read, and I realized that you could take something cool like a movie, pull it apart, and just you know work on each piece until you pull it together and, and make something really cool out of it. So I think that that was the,
2: the beginning of just learning how to write.
0: So Ben, you mentioned this a little bit, but how did you guys meet?
2: I feel like we crossed paths a few times, but never never really met. And then we both ended up in the same class and were kind of the odd man out on a project. And Mark was always the guy that would show up with a cool script. And I feel like I had a pretty good eye for shooting stuff and putting a project together. And we just ended up, you know, teamed up on a class project. And that was the beginning of us doing that. We did, we did that short film and then did a couple other shorts uh, over our college career. And then eventually during my senior year, we started our first feature, Strings, which took us, you know, several years to finish. But, uh, but that's something we started in college together.
3: What was important when we were in college was that, for me at least, I know I was getting paired up with other other writer directors, and we would clash a lot in the in the writing process because we both had kind of like a vision for where the story would go. But whenever Ben and I wound up working on a project together he was way more into the visuals and he kind of just let me tell my story because I brought the script in and we started to learn. He started learning more about story and I started learning more about visuals because I didn't know anything until I met Ben. And then now I know like five more things.
2: Yeah, that's true. That was a great, I think that probably reduced conflict a lot at the, at the beginning. We found it by the end.
0: Well, when you guys are directing a movie together like strings, how are you divvying up the workload?
3: Ben usually handles uh, anything related to camera or or the the look of the film on set. Um, And I focus on the, you know, any changes in dialogue or dealing with the actors and, and, you know, do the blocking with them and figuring out how the, you know, camera's going to line up with what Ben's doing. All of that is figured out usually the night before, the week before, whenever we're sitting at the table together, like Ben will draw like a diagram and we'll talk about how, how I want to block the scene and we'll stand in for each other like, well, what about this camera angle? And then the next day, we just kind of remember what we did uh, the night before or maybe five minutes before. But it was just really two or I'm sorry, one brain breaking off into two different mouths to tell
0: people. And once the project is done, do you both work together in the edit suite or what are you doing?
3: This is Mark. Usually what will happen is Ben is still handling the producing side of the film and wrapping things up with the set. And I'll take the footage and do a like a rough cut based on the performances that I liked on set. And once I've got what I feel is not, you know, I don't feel like you could show it to anybody, but it's how the movie should look overall. Then Ben will go through and he'll do like the, you know, tweaking and stuff and turn it into a music video.
0: Are you guys doing all this stuff in Texas or by this point, have you moved to LA?
2: Depends on the movie strings. We were, uh, we did the whole thing in Texas, which is weird because it's got kind of an East coast feel. We didn't want Mark. Mark showed up with this script where all these people like ride around in trains and, they don't do that in Texas unless you're on the light rail like in Austin. So, you know, we felt like we had to kind of disguise Austin as some sort of East coast location. Um, so that, that movie, we were aside from me going to, uh, New York and Washington DC for like a day each to do some pickup shots. We made that whole movie in Texas and then time trap, the one that we just finished that's doing festival stuff right now, we shot in Austin and in West Texas, and did a little bit of things in LA on a on a sound stage at the old Bat Cave. And for that movie, we did all of our posts uh, in Los Angeles. We'd kind of make the move out there by then.
0: So, Mark, where does the idea for Time Trap come from?
2: Uh, the
3: idea for Time Trap comes from uh, a period when we were trying to get another movie going, and we couldn't we couldn't get a commitment from an actor. And I think that every time we send out a We'd send out an offer. We'd have to wait for a couple of weeks. I'd just go crazy with with anxiety, thinking, "Are they going to say yes? Are we ever going to get this movie made?" And uh, I started thinking it'd be cool if I could just go into this closet here and come out, and it would be two weeks later. It'd be a fun superpower to have. And then I decided, "Oh, that'd be cool if it was actually like somewhere interesting, like a cave, because I grew up in Central Texas where there's you know a cave every five feet." So it kind of started with like a it or Indiana Jones story about a group of kids going into the woods and then they go into a cave that propels them into the future.
0: And Ben, when you hear this idea, what are your initial thoughts?
2: It sounds crazy. It always sounds like a crazy idea when Mark comes, uh, comes to me with a movie idea, but you know, my, my my half of the brain is to, is to figure out how to do it. And that's, and that's what we do. And, His his
3: half of the brain is to tell me how we can't do it and then figure out how we can because that's what winds up happening on on every single thing. He'll be like no, this can't. This doesn't work because of this. And then I'm like, okay. And I start thinking a second and I start to like explain the rewrite that I just had in my head. And he's like, well, what, what, but what if we did this? We could do it the way you said a minute ago. It's like, well, you need to
2: re-figure out what the word impossible means. We always figure it out. It's, it's crazy. But this movie was supposed to be, it was written as a found footage movie at first. And when we showed it to our DP, director of photography, Mike, he was like, you know, you guys should really uh, think about making this you know, more cinema, like a real, a real movie. It's a cool story, and it deserves to be told uh, like a real movie. So there's still, you know, a found footage kind of element to the movie, and it's uh, it's a huge story point and it's point. And the characters find out a lot about uh, what's happening to them by using the footage that they're filming on their cameras. But it's a cinema film, and it's it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I think you work it in so well. And it wasn't even like I didn't realize until we were talking that there is this found footage aspect to it because it does fit the story. And it isn't one of those things where it's just impossible where you found this camera and there's just all of these weird circumstances that leads you to this. I mean, it is almost literally dropped in their lap, which is a fantastic way of actually providing it.
3: The sound footage having to be a plot device, it felt like luck because I don't think that it, if the movie was written, you know, as a normal movie without sound footage, I don't think I would have ever gotten the characters to where they were. And that's like the coolest thing about the movie. I feel like it kind of almost like it wrote itself, just like by the way time works.
0: How crazy are you guys to have a cast that is so many young people and are they necessarily as young as a kind of play to the camera?
3: definitely less crazy now than we were before because I don't think that we would work with uh, that many people at one time in such an enclosed location like we we realized that it's you know it's just a nightmare having to block four or five people
2: a couple of them are you know minors it's it's a lot of work so we're pretty crazy to do that are they actually playing are they playing their age but but yeah no I mean they were Olivia was 13 max was 13 when we started the older kids are Maybe a little bit older than college age. Cassidy, no, Cassidy turned twenty one right before we started shooting, didn't
3: she? Yeah, they're all about two or three years in the same yeah. direction as their characters.
2: Yeah, and they're great. I mean, Riley's been been doing this his whole life, uh, and he had all kinds of you know ideas as as we were shooting, and uh, kind of he saved us a few times from making some mistakes. Cassidy's been in plenty of movies, brands, TV regular on all kinds of stuff, so. Their expertise, I think, was uh, hugely valuable to us. And then when it comes to the kids, when you cast kids, you're always you're almost casting the parents as much as you are the kids. And Max's parents and Olivia's parents are both just awesome, and it was huge. It was a huge plus for us to have them there. They're, I don't feel like they're the usual show parents where they're overprotective of the kid, or you know that that kind of thing.
3: Well, also, especially because so much of the movie was made after principal photography, we did a lot of, we'd go and get some more pickups and we'd go, what if we added this line or what if we did this, this shot? And it's easy whenever you befriended the parents to say, Hey, can, can Max come out and play for a couple of hours? And I'm going to bring my video camera. That could
2: look bad in another situation.
0: I'm Almost surprised that you guys didn't do like a boyhood thing and just you know keep Max around for a long time and then just you know instead of any sort of like age related makeup or anything, it's like now here's the older Max happens to show up.
2: Well, we almost did. It took us almost four years to make the movie, and by the end of it, he's like driving a car and shaving. Luckily, he didn't change too much, but uh, but no, they can both they both like started high school and learned to drive and started applying to colleges while while we made this movie.
0: I have to just say that the special effects in the film are fantastic. They enhance the story. They don't take the place of the story, which is really nice. But I am curious how you guys managed to pull off all of these amazing special effects. Is this like a Gareth Ennis thing where you're doing all these things yourself? Or how is this working?
3: Well, there's no actual special effects in the movie. Everything that you see did happen, and we got it as it was happening. Um, anything, anything that doesn't fall under that was a uh, conglom- conglomeration of several different VFX companies, and where were they
2: at? Been Bulgaria, uh, Russia. Burbank? Yeah, our, Burbank. Yeah, our, no, our whole our whole visual effects process was crazy. There is there's a lot of things in the movie where you don't even realize it's a visual effect. Like they're in a, they're in a big cavern. The caves that we shot in were pretty big to begin with, but there's certain shots where we extended the ceiling upwards and and things like that. I think it just blended in seamlessly, but um, no, we found guys a lot of, a lot of the, the movie took longer to finish. I think largely because of the visual effects and we were just waiting on, you know, if you don't have money, you have to have time. And we were waiting on these visual effects vendors that were in Bulgaria and Russia. And then there was a guy really up the street from where I live in LA um that helped out in a lot of it but i would get their files sent over and then um if i needed more shots that were similar i just kind of reverse engineer and steal their work it's a big movie for a, a little budget for sure big ideas
0: as you're working on this are you working on other projects at the same time or are you solely dedicated to time trap for what'd you say like four years
3: there's always other stuff going on in our brains that you can never turn off, especially like in like just like creating, you can't turn off your brain from other ideas. So there's always like other scripts that we're talking about, but usually whenever we're, if we're in development or we're, you know, right there in pre-production, it's just the one, it's just the one project. And when we're shooting, we don't deal with anything else. But as far as post goes, um, obviously you have to take other jobs. You have to, you know, get away from it for a couple of weeks and work on another script. So, it, I've written a couple of scripts since this movie was done and we thought we'd be in production on them by now, but it takes a long time to
2: make a movie. Yeah. And, and a lot of our next project is going to be determined by what this one does. So the more people that become aware of it, the more people that uh, recommend it after seeing it at a film festival and the more people that ultimately buy it and rent it and help us kind of make a splash with this film, the higher the level we can execute the next one at. And that's kind of the goal right now. I mean, I feel like we could, Maybe get something started, but we want to make sure that we're not setting ourselves up to spend, you know, five years on the next movie.
0: Well, what has been the history of this once you kind of wrapped everything, locked the picture? Is it playing, what, Fantastic Fest, or where is this going to?
2: It's been, we've had an amazing festival run so far. We've played six great festivals. We play, uh, we premiered in Seattle. We played the Austin Film Festival, the Woodstock Film Festival. Um. Mammoth Film Festival. Yeah, Yubari Film Festival. That was our international premiere that is very mysterious to us. We're not sure if it actually happened, but we hear it did. Uh, We were told that we we, we found
3: out that we got in and then never heard from anybody again.
2: So we're hoping that we we think it happened. They played the screener, at least. But we're still going. So we have uh, Houston coming up this weekend, followed by the Hill Country Film Festival, which is in Fredericksburg. It's in Central Texas. And then we go up to Bentonville, Arkansas. For the Bentonville Film Festival, which is Gina Davis's fest, and and we're excited. We got plenty more life in our festival run, and uh, we're hoping that it'll be available to buy by you know late summer, early autumn.
0: I don't want to blow smoke up your ass, but wait, no, please do. Okay, all right. As I'm watching the movie, I was reminded of other time travel movies, of course, and I'm even thinking of other time travel films with younger people in it. And my mind kept going back to Richard Donner's timeline based on the Michael Crichton book. Oh, cool. And I have to say, timeline, no offense to anybody listening, but timeline, not necessarily that good of a movie, Time Trap way better of a film and something that I would actually sit down and watch again, maybe even a few times. I really enjoyed the film. And I think that it actually has a better look to it than this (laughs) mainstream Hollywood film that came out a few years ago.
3: I'm actually so, so glad you brought that up. I want to, I know you're about to to ask a question, but uh, I used to work for Richard Donner whenever I was an intern uh, in college. And the reason timeline isn't as great as it could be is because the night before they started shooting, this is what I heard from, from the office, uh, whoever the company was, the studio that made it that I'll probably never work for after saying this, they told uh, Paul Walker and Richard Donna that they had to cut their salaries by $10 million if they wanted to make the movie. So they agreed to it. And, uh, how many people listen to your podcast? I just realized I'm they not, I'm not said that.
2: Well, I think that's interesting though. I mean, that's just what happens in Hollywood. I mean, that's, you know, for whatever reason, they had to reduce the budget and people get forced to get paid paid less or they decide not to make the movie. And and I guess as a result of that, maybe he couldn't work as long on the film as he wanted to. Um, because that's, that's one thing. The biggest lesson of this movie, I think, for me anyway, is that if you feel like it's done, it can still get better. Because, you know, we... The changes that we made in the like 11th hour with this movie, our sales agent, was like, I have to have a cut that's um, 10 minutes shorter, and, they, and the kids had to get into the cave at the 12-minute mark. And we're like, that's completely impossible. Yeah, because
3: of that, it wound up being better because I thought, well, let's just cut this out and change this around. And it wound up somehow playing way better. Like The first 20 minutes are awesome now. Before, it was a little bit tedious.
2: Yeah, and you never know. I always wonder, like, when I go to a Hollywood movie and it's not good, like, maybe they just didn't finish. They have a locked
3: release date that they have to meet, and we've been lucky enough that we can keep working on it if we need to.
0: You talked about changing the beginning of it and and making things tighter that way, and without spoilers, what are some of the other changes that you eventually tweaked out as you were working on this movie and, and getting it to the place where it is now?
1: Well there was a
3: there was a period when Ben was working on an edit and I I was still thinking about I was still thinking about the story and I started to think okay let's you know people keep saying this would be a cool TV series or a cool movie what if I wrote a sequel to it and I think to just like keep my mind in it while I was waiting on Ben's uh, new edit I started to write a sequel to it and the first 30 pages of the sequel wound up fitting nicely on this movie so the beginning of this movie whenever Andrew Wilson is playing Hopper and he's like walking through the cave, trying to uh, you know find find something. Um, that was actually just written as the beginning of the sequel, but it worked out to go so it worked out really well to put it on this one, and it really brought the story around and gave it more depth and uh, paid off some of the uh, motivations that we set up because uh, we also added a little bit more to the ending too.
2: Well, it added a lot of setup to the film. I feel like you know the way it was before. You know, you meet the kids. We know that this professor is missing. We're not sure exactly where he went, and we go off into the woods to find him. But the the way the movie is now, you meet this professor and you see that he's out in the woods and he's doing something interesting. And you get a glimpse of this cave, you know, where time is essentially frozen inside of. And so you get teased the concept much early. You get into that. It's like Jurassic Park. Like you get a glimpse of a dinosaur in the first uh, minute of the movie. And then you wait for 20 or 30 minutes and then you get back into uh, the reason you came to see the
0: film. The image of the guy who's just standing there at the end of the cave with the lantern is so chilling, and it really does make me say, what is going on here, and I want to know what makes this whole world work.
3: Yeah, it's I'm really glad, glad you br- you brought that up because uh, that was always something that I wasn't sure if, if it was working or not. And since I know that you don't know us and we didn't really talk to you or anything before you watched it, that you genuinely like you saw that on your own because that's one of the things on set you never know if it's going to work. And this is the first time that I've been like validated for
2: that. And thank you. And it looks silly on set. <laughs> so many things just look ridiculous. And that's our producer Zach playing the cowboy he's a jackass and to see Zach standing there completely still holding a lantern and a gun on his hip or in his handlers and no, it's on his hip and no it's in his hand. It's just seemed, no, it's on his hip. Oh, no, he has two guns. He has one on his hip and one in his hand. You know, he's holding the lantern, but it just looks so silly on set. And I remember being like, God, we're, I don't know if this is going to work.
0: What's the feeling like when you see this with an audience for the first time?
3: Well, so the first few screenings are pretty great because there's always somebody from the crew in there and I know that we put them through hell when we were making the movie, so it's nice to see their reaction of like, "Oh God, it, it worked!" Like I didn't know what these guys were doing, but they obviously they had a point to all of this chaos. It, it What's sometimes surprising is the age of people who like the movie. There's a lot of there's a lot of people like our age and even our parent age like the movie, but like thirteen year olds is like the sweet spot for the 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 audience that's going to be watching this movie in the future because the thirteen year olds are like, "Oh my God, my favorite movie is Interstellar," and I loved your movie and it reminded me of this and this
2: and that yeah it's cool it's cool to talk to people after the movie too because that's in a lot of at film festivals especially um you know these people don't know us they showed up because they thought the title and the uh summary and maybe the trailer was cool and you find out if you've delivered or not i guess after the movie is done and i feel like we've had a lot of success at these film festivals
0: that's the thing, is it, it, and this is not an insult by any means because I love these types of movies and I'm not trying to paint you with one big brush, but it felt like a really tight YA story, it felt like a really tight young adult book that had been turned into a really tight movie. It was almost like Hannah, you know, where it's like you're sitting there watching it and you're like, I really like this story. This seems like it must be a great book. And then you find out there is no book. This is 100 percent whole cloth made for the screen.
2: It's a young audience movie, but it's also it has such an interesting puzzle to it to figure out how these kids ended up where they are and what's happening to them. That At any age, you at least have that puzzle to kind of follow and put that together as you watch the film.
0: Yeah. I mean, I am not the typical YA audience, but I, yeah, I was wrapped in this movie and just, that was the thing was, how does this work? How, why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? In that way, it kind of reminded me of a um, a better version of the TV show Lost, where things actually paid off at the end.
3: Oh, yeah. we love that show. That, that was That's definitely been a big inspiration for us, even so much so as ripping off some of the shots for our last movie. But we just love the idea of combining like the adventure the you know it, it, wilderness adventure with with time travel or you know the science fiction that's not out in space yeah
0: i guess in this case it does go out to space
2: they had a season on lost where maybe they could have skipped
0: fourth season i think
2: yeah it was like, i think it was maybe the season before the last one where they end up it's like just the guy with the eye shadow and he's like two thousand years old and that's when i thought you're just it. like wait a minute But I was okay with the ending. I kind of liked. I liked what they. It was sort of all they could do. Also,
0: Ben, you have a movie on your filmography that I have to ask you about, which is Big Deke Six, Unfuckwithable. That was wonderful.
2: It's my friend Carl, and I did that uh, with another buddy of mine, Scott. And uh, it it was during. So I worked in casting a little bit when I was in college. Did some interning for a casting director here in Austin, and I worked on the pilot of Friday Night Lights. And then the the last thing I did was the very beginning of Grindhouse, the Planet Terror, the Robert Rodriguez film. And by the time that movie came out, they did a competition where if you made, you know, the best Grindhouse trailer, they would put it uh, either into the movie or that you got some award or something like that. And so that's what we ended up uh, making for our for our Grindhouse trailer. I want to make it. They wound up it. They wound up doing a
3: hobo with a shotgun
2: didn't they? Yeah, Hobo, Hobo, Hobo with a Shotgun won. We were in the, like, the top three. But uh, yeah, that's what Hobo with a Shotgun is. It's the Grindhouse can, competition.
3: Can you imagine Big Deke 6 starring Rudger Hauer?
2: He'd actually yeah, be pretty he'd be great. great for it. He'd
3: be great. Yeah, for, <laughs> for those of you who are wondering what Big Deke 6 is about, it's about this like badass guy from the 70s or 80s who goes to prison for 20 years, and then when he comes out, the the world has changed. Uh, but it's in like a Grindhouse style. And I think the idea that we talked about right before we, cause we were talking about making it for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was since it was big deke six, while you're watching big deke six, you are going to have these, you know, cutaways to the trailer for big deke one and the cutaway for, uh, or the, the trailer for big deke five. And these cutaways are going to show you, uh, you know, more of his backstory so that, but big deke six is the most important part of his life. The rest of it, you could have just seen in the trailers.
2: And the storyline that I always liked for big deke was that he lives in some alternate universe where, um, prohibition never, uh, was repealed. And so he's like a, a, a rum runner and coordinates, uh, like the sale of alcohol in Kansas city or something like that with uh Canadian whiskey, like tequila and rum from the Caribbean. And that's like his world of corruption is, you know, 2018 illegal alcohol. I, I feel
3: like we just took over your podcast to pitch a movie that we haven't even We haven't even talked about this in five years, and we just just, pitched it. This is the vision for the movie, and here's some ideas that I have for the character and how I wanted to go and uh, (laughs) take place. That's exactly
2: what we just did. We took over your podcast to plug a movie we're not going to make. never know who's listening, Mark.
0: Do you already have a poster made up for it? Can you sell this overseas, the foreign rights, maybe?
3: If you're a buyer for movies, you could literally type in right now. You can Apple F or Apple T, and then hit uh, Big Deke 6, unfuckwithable, and you can see the trailer.
0: You talked about some of the festivals that Time Trap is playing. Is it too early to talk about the distribution, the Netflix rights, all those kind of things?
3: Only because we just got off of a
2: conference call, and we're talked out (laughs) distribution. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's definitely the topic of discussion, and um, I'll say the... I will say there's a lot of stuff out there, and it makes it hard to sell a movie. There's just so much competition and so many movies being made, and not just being made, but movies that are good. There's just not not a lot of room on the uh, on the Netflix screen, I guess, to, to fit them all. It's tough to sell a movie. We'll be able to show Time Trap pretty soon. In some places, you can already see it, but I'm not going to
3: tell you how to find it because I want you to see the ads on Facebook and on your TV
0: just to pull back the curtain a little bit when it comes to the actual projection booth podcast, and this is for the listeners and a little bit for you guys as well. I get sent links to screeners and get sent uh, emails and press releases and all this kind of stuff all the time, all the time. Every day I get something in my email box uh, where it's like, Hey, take a look at this. And you know, here's this cool thing with this guy and this guy, and this is a great concept and yada, yada, yada. And I would say, 95, maybe 98% of the time, I will look at the trailer or even sometimes look at the poster and just be like, yeah, this isn't for me. And I went out and I watched the trailer for Time Trap and I said, wow, this actually, this is a real movie. This is actually a real movie. Like I don't see Karo syrup, I don't see strings, I don't see something that looks like it was shot with you know my old VHS recorder, this is a real movie. And then when I actually sat down and watched the movie, I said, my God, this is really a real movie. This isn't just like all the best parts were in the trailer. So it was so refreshing to see a real independent film that looks great. That has a tight storyline, because like I said, like you guys just said, there are so many movies being made these days, but not to, be harsh, but so many of them are just kind of crappy, and so when you find that diamond in the rough, it just—it's so refreshing to actually be able to latch onto something and say, "Look at this! This is actually really good stuff."
3: I'm glad you liked it. So I'm that this comes for us from wanting to make movies that the 12-year-old versions of us would want to watch. I know that whenever I was in middle school, like if I saw the poster for this movie or the trailer for it, I'd be excited about it. And I know that as I was watching, I'd be like, I can relate to this. This is fun. This is like the kind of adventure movie that every kid can relate to. And I think that that's why you, that's why you liked it so much. It's probably the, the kid in you being able to go back to that time in your life where everything was still really exciting for Instagram ruined it.
0: So, is there a place for people to keep up with you guys? And when this drops on iTunes or comes to their local theater, plays a film festival, any of those kind of things, where they can keep up on the news?
3: Yeah, just our Facebook is uh, Time Trap the Movie, or uh, you know, Facebook.com/backslash Time Trap the Movie, and uh, I think that's our our main thing. You can catch up with me on. I have a picture on Humanitarians of Tinder right now. Uh, that's my my selling point. We have a company together called Pad Thai Pictures, but we uh, didn't really think about what that would be like to Google. So when people try to find our our company and the the other stuff
2: that we've done, all they're going to look at is is noodles and peanuts. Yeah, it's the most impossible to find production company that exists. <laughs> but we're not changing it. Huge mistake. Yeah, no, we'll keep it. We've talked about it, and it's called Pad Thai Pictures because when we were in college, that was uh, or when we made our first movie, rather. It was all, we ate pad thai almost like every day because there was this place Madame Mam's uh, right next to campus, and the guy that runs it would give us deals on pad thai. So that's what we <laughs> fed our casting crew. He was, was our he
3: was
0: our pad thai dealer. I could get behind that. That sounds good. Yeah, got a dispensary now. Well, guys, thank you so much for your time tonight. This has been great. Thanks, man. Hope you don't have to edit too much of it.